Our theme today on this third Sunday of Advent in our Take Heart Advent series is joy. Joy in a world of inequality. And before we get into the sermon, I'm going to invite uh, one of our members, April Monteith, to come forward to share just a few words with us. Thank you, April, for your willingness to join us in the service uh, and to share a witness. Um, friends, this is April, but uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to Hyde Park and what you do. Uh, that would be helpful for us. Well, thank you for having me here this morning to speak to the congregation. Um, my name's April Monteith. I am a, um, a daughter. <laughs> I have eight siblings. I come from a Brady Bunch type family. My youngest sibling is 14. She's um, in Orlando. I'm also a godmother. I have um, a five-year-old goddaughter. And finally, I'm a parent of a four-legged little friend. Um, his name is Handsome, so he's a little spoiled. Um, in addition, on the professional side, I'm a corporate banker, so I help uh, large businesses in the West Florida area with any of their corporate banking needs. I came to Hyde Park through invitation. Uh, my best friend, Nicole Stokes, invited me to one of the women's studies a few years ago. It was one of the Beth Moore studies. I found that um, the environment at that women's study was very open and welcoming. I had not grown up in the church, and I was, quite frankly, didn't know the basic Bible stories. And that group just opened their arms, um, invited me to learn. And that thirst of learning continued as I took several other classes here at High Park and eventually decided to get baptized and become a member about five years ago. Now, April, I understand that a couple of years ago, uh, you came to a new understanding of the Christmas story and, and had an Advent experience in particular that was very significant for you. Won't you tell us what happened? So our downtown pastor, Justin LaRosa, um, hosted an Advent group at his house with his wife, and they invited me to join that group. It was the first time I had actually done an Advent study. Um, growing up, uh, Christmas for us was very much focused on the gift-giving side of Christmas and not so much on the true reason for the season. In our Advent study group, we actually struggled with the excesses of the season. Um, we buy a lot of gifts, uh, which don't necessarily represent um, the reason for the season. And Justin actually came up with a challenge for us to look at how much we were spending on those material items and make an equivalent donation to a nonprofit. As a group, we decided that nonprofit would be Living Water International. I'm an early shopper, so by the time I did the calculation, I had already bought all my presents for the season. Um, so I had to go back to the checkbook and look at how much I had spent, and I was quite frankly astonished at how much I had spent from a monetary standpoint um, on material items during the season. A total for our group, we raised over $3,000 that we donated to rehab a well in Rwanda. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, and coming out of that experience of a conscientizing about what you were spending and then looking for ways to, to give further expression to the season and to try to redress some of the inequalities in the world, um, what impact, if any, has that had on, on you now and your experience of Christmas uh, today? Well, I definitely still buy gifts. Um, and unfortunately, that's still part of the season for my family. Um, but I also try and make a conscious effort to think about um, other ways that I can make God's love real and show my love for those in my life. Um, so I try and do a lot more experiences um, 
whether that gift is dinner out on the town together or maybe it's going out and dancing, taking some line dancing lessons that we haven't done before, just something for us to experience together versus exchanging a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a new purse. Great. Well, thank you, April, so much for sharing with us this morning, and uh, we wish you well. Let's give April a hand, shall we? Thank you so much. And so having heard that witness of one response to envisaging this season in a different way, let's bow our heads now as we come before God in prayer. Let us pray. And now, O Lord, as we reflect upon the theme of joy in a world of inequality, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Years ago, my eldest niece was about to celebrate her fifth birthday. Her parents did a great job in building up the sense of anticipation by counting down the days to her birthday when she would receive her big birthday surprise. The big birthday surprise was a Wendy house. Now, for I believe you don't know what that is in America. It's a playhouse, a small wooden house, but that's big enough for a little child to actually get inside. Uh, Very exciting stuff. And so this Wendy house was secretly delivered and assembled the day before her birthday. And then her parents spent half the night painting it and decorating it, hanging curtains, so that it would be absolutely perfect. The morning of her birthday came, and she was told that she needed to look for her big birthday surprise, and so the hunt began. With great excitement, she looked all over her room, and then announced in a loud voice, no birthday surprise here. Next, she ran to her parents' bedroom, looked around and announced once again, no birthday surprise here. And so this continued through every room in the house, the bathrooms, the lounge, the kitchen, the family room, each was explored and searched. And then she declared the verdict, no birthday surprise here. Finally, her mom suggested that she look in the garden. As she stepped outside, she suddenly stopped dead in her tracks. Her little eyes opened wide in amazement as she suddenly saw it. Look, mommy, she shouted out, it's a Wendy house. And as fast as she could, she ran over to it and flung open the door and went inside And a few moments later, she appeared in the doorway and said, no birthday surprise here. (laughs) She was looking right at it. In fact, she was standing inside of it. But she couldn't see it. She couldn't recognize that this was her big surprise. It was just too big, too wonderful, too good to grasp that this was, in fact, for her. 
I think that story describes something of what happens for many of us when it comes to the big birthday surprise that is Christmas. We can be looking right at it without recognizing what it really means, without grasping that this is, in fact, for us. I'm not just talking about the obvious secularism that has all but hijacked the season so evident in the rampant consumerism and the material excesses of many kinds of this time of year. That, of course, is true enough, and all of us, in varying degrees, fall prey to those influences that so violently distort what Christmas is really about. What I'm really talking about is the tendency to look at Christmas with religious eyes, but still without recognizing what it really means. We know the story so well, don't we? Like a pair of old slippers, there's a familiarity about it that's deeply comforting. We easily and happily slip into the story of Mary and Joseph in the manger and the Magi who journeyed from afar, led by the light of a guiding star, and the shepherds and the angels singing their alleluias. There's a lilting, alluring, lulling loveliness about it all that can warm and gladden the heart. The story about the birth of the Son of God. But friends, hear this. If that's all that it is for us, a story from long ago, then we run the very great danger of looking at it and maybe even standing inside of it and yet saying with a yawn of familiarity, no birthday surprise here. And what a tragedy and what a shame that would be because it would mean that we were unable to recognize what was right before our eyes. It would have meant that we had allowed another Christmas to pass us by without really touching us, at least not in the way that really matters. But what if this Christmas held for you the promise of the greatest surprise imaginable? bigger than your wildest dreams, better than anything you dared hope for? What if this old familiar story about the birth of the Son of God were to break open over your life in a whole new way and speak with a freshness and a directness to your life here and now? What if you came to recognize that the greatest story ever told wasn't quite finished just yet? And that your life was being woven into it even now. How do you think that would make you feel? Like it's hard to believe, fair enough. A little scared perhaps, of course. Humbled, absolutely. But beyond all those feelings, when God's big birthday surprise is recognized for what it is, and you realize that it is, in fact, for you, 
and that even now your name is being written into the scripts, the overriding feeling that that will bring will be one of pure, unfettered, primal joy. The capacity for this kind of joy is within all of us, but it's something that we often leave behind way too soon. And so to help us to reconnect with what this kind of joy feels like, I'd like to play you a short video clip in which a little baby, which of course is what this big surprise is all about, what a little baby draws us into, this little baby offers us a beautiful reminder of how we have all been created and how we have been shaped. Take a look. We'll need some sound. Nope. <laughs> Let's try it one more time. We'll need some sound. Thank you. It works even without the sound. <laughs> okay, last chance. I'll, I'll lip sync. <laughs> okay, well. I did a useless job there, but um, you get the point. A little baby with a belly, belly ripping laugh that reminds us how each of us have been made. The really great thing about that video, and I'm sorry you didn't quite get the full impact of it, is that the piece of paper that the dad was tearing up that was causing the little one to laugh so uproariously was in fact a letter of rejection for a job application <laughs> that he received. How cool is that? Now, I'm aware that speaking about joy can seem insensitive in the face of the painful realities that we are addressing in this Take Heart series. Realities such as disease and depression, domestic abuse and violence, grief, injustice, and the inequalities that seem so prevalent in our world. I'm also aware that there are those who say that it's all very well for a little baby to laugh because they're oblivious to these painful realities, but for the rest of us, it's quite different. Maybe you're in a place right now where the burden you're carrying feels overwhelming, and so the prospects of joy, unfettered, unbridled, primal joy seems ridiculous. Maybe you've been dreading this festive season with its assumption that everyone must always be upbeat and happy all the time, and where every greeting of Merry Christmas, no matter how well-intentioned, cuts like a knife. Clearly, it's not the season to be jolly for everyone, no matter how heartily we sing our fa la 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 -las. And yet... 
And yet, in spite of these painful realities, the great surprise that God breaks open in our lives is that the good news of great joy for all the people seems able to reach into deeper places than that. The joy that arises from the recognition of God's big birthday surprise and our place within it is not a joy that denies the harsh and painful realities of the world. Rather, it's a joy that flows from the recognition that the surprising work of God continues to unfold. The surprising work of God that seeks precisely to transform those very things. This was true of Mary's experience when she heard the astonishing news about God's big birthday surprise and the miraculous part that she would play in it. Following the life-changing news that she would be the mother of the Son of God, she went to visit her aging relative, Elizabeth, who was also pregnant in a most surprising way. We read in Luke chapter 1 that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leaped for joy, which in turn prompted Mary to sing a beautiful song. It's called the Magnificat. So named because that's the first word of the song in Latin. The choir sang it for us a little earlier so beautifully. It's a song of great joy that acknowledges the surprising work of God in her life and in the life of the world. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. But then as Mary continues, we realize that she starts making some bold and radical claims about God's restorative work of justice in the world. She sings, He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Remarkably, she sings of these things as if they have already occurred when we know that in this world the inequalities between the powerful and the lowly, between the rich and the poor continue, but still Mary sings her song as if this reality has already come to pass. How can this be? Well, have you ever had the experience of driving a familiar route past an open lot of land that you never really pay much attention to, well, because there's not too much to notice, just some weeds, some rubbish, maybe a bit of rubble from an old structure that's long since been in ruins. And then suddenly one day as you drive past, you see that it's all boarded up. And the next day, there's this big billboard on the corner 
in glorious color, depicting this magnificent complex of condos or whatever you call it here with trees and fountains and children playing and of course a BMW in the parking lot and here in Florida, I guess, a mandatory golf cart. And it's called Eden Gardens or Paradise Valley. You know what I'm talking about? You familiar with the idea? And in big red letters across the corner of the billboard, it says, first phase, now selling. If you stop and take a peek through the boards, you'll see that that vacant lot is still just a dump. Essentially a wasteland. The weeds are still growing. The rubbish and the rubble is still lying strewn all around. But because of that billboard, you can't help but wonder what kind of transformation that wasteland is about to undergo. All because of the imagination of an architect and the courage of a developer who were able to envision a bold new future for that place and proclaim with confidence that that future promised happening is a present reality. Now selling is what the sign says. That's what Mary does in her song. It's like she's putting up this great big billboard over the wasteland of the inequalities of this world. As she sees, as she envisions a future, the future of God's reign, where the injustice of the inequalities between the rich and the poor, the powerful and the lowly will be redressed. And she dares to proclaim these things as present realities. This is God's big surprise. And seeing herself as part of it becomes for her an experience of great joy. So what about you? What vision for the future is God inviting you to bring into focus for others as your part in the Christmas story this year? Hear the good news. If you dare to take your place within that part of the Christmas story and discover that it is, in a sense, your story and your place within it can help to make the big surprise of it real for others, it will be for you an experience of real and abiding joy. And as you ponder what exactly that might mean for you, let me close by reminding you of an iconic Christmas character from the world of literature and the joyful transformation that occurred for him. I'm referring, of course, to Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' novella, A Christmas Carol. Most, if not all of you, are familiar with the story, I'm sure. Ebenezer Scrooge is a grouchy old miser 
whom Dickens describes as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. It's Christmas Eve, but Scrooge is a bundle of misery, snubbing his nephew's invitation to Christmas lunch, refusing the request for a donation to benefit the poor, begrudging the fact that he feels obliged to give his clerk a full day's paid leave for Christmas. When greeted with a friendly Merry Christmas, all that Scrooge can say in response is humbug, which was a 19th century interjection that would best remain untranslated into contemporary English. We are in church after all. But that night, Scrooge is visited by four ghosts. The ghost of his former business partner and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. They open Scrooge's eyes for him to see the painful and tragic consequences of living a life of greed and selfishness. They also open his eyes to see the gift and source of true and abiding joy. He awakens on Christmas morning a transformed man with the firm resolve to start living a new way. He immediately starts putting this resolve into action through various acts of kindness, generosity, and compassion. And then Dickens writes these words about him. He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the heads and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could now yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything could bring him so much joy. His eyes had been opened to the big birthday surprise of God's love and justice at work within the world and the part that was truly his in that great work. In a similar way, may your eyes and mine be opened that we might see the big surprise that is Christmas, the big birthday surprise of God's love and justice at work within the world. And as we give ourselves afresh to the vision of God's reign breaking into the here and now, may each one of us be filled with a deep and abiding joy.